There we go. All right, well, while we're waiting for just a few more participants to join in, I will officially um, say hi to everyone. My name's Rebecca Del Pozo. I'm an agent here in uh, Puyallup, Washington, and um, a part of the Millionaire Moms Group in real estate and a part of the number one real estate office here in Pierce County. And uh, what we've done is we have put together what we're calling the Position Yourself to Invest in Real Estate panel. And I wanted just to give you just a little bit of um, background on this um, because uh, two years ago, so it was 2018, we did a similar panel and um, it was for selfish reasons, just purely selfish reasons. I was a real estate agent. I wanted to become a real estate investor. I had taken classes from different real estate investors. However, um, just hadn't pulled the trigger yet and wanted to surround myself with people who were a few steps ahead of me and specifically here locally so that I could see like, is this something that can happen here locally in Washington state? Is this something that I could potentially um, get involved with? And so from that panel, I really feel like it, it one answered the question that yes, you can become a real estate investor and two, you know, what an incredible gift we have in our office and just the, the, the spirit of collaboration that we share. And um, so I'm excited for our time together. Um, Aaron is my partner in crime for today's mon monitoring or um, moderating, moderating? Uh, she's gonna be watching the chat box. So if you have any questions, um, drop them in the chat box. I am going to be uh, making sure that everyone is muted except for our panelists. And this is a panel that is being recorded. And so we'll, we'll edit it later and then share it with everyone as well. So um, I think it's time to get started. Sound good? I've admitted everybody into the room that was asking, and so we are we are good to go. So let's start with ladies first. Um, Carrie, if you would just um, unmute yourself and introduce yourself to the group, let let them know how long you've been in real estate, and um, tell us about the very first ever real estate investment that you that you ever did. Hi there, I'm Carrie Montgomery. Um, been in real estate for over 20 years. My husband and I bought our first uh, rental property when we were not even 20. Um, we qualified for about a $45,000 loan. And so my dad said, why don't you look into uh, what you could qualify for if you could, if you could put your money together and do, get a duplex. So we were able to count the income stream from the, from the tenant in one side and we moved in the other we got it up to $95,000 qualification. And uh, that was back in 1989. And I, I still own that duplex. It's paid for and I only paid for it about three years. Got wow. into it with a three and a half or 3% down uh, FHA loan. That is like the story. That is it right there, right? It's yeah. if all of us could hit the big reset button on our life, don't we all wish that that would have been uh, our very first purchase? That's awesome. And it's worth, it's worth 500,000 now. <laughs> that is amazing. All right, Jonathan, you're up next. Who are you? And tell us what your very first investment property looked like. Okay, so uh, I've been in real estate since 2006, uh, broker owner here at Keller Williams. And my very first investment property was in 2006, which was about 10 seconds before the market uh, crashed. And so I actually, I bought two houses within a month, put 20% down on each of them and got adjustable rate loans, did everything that you're not supposed to do. And, um, but I held on to them. And so one of them right now is worth 350 and I bought it for 250 and uh, I, I refinanced it onto a 15 year loan a while back. So I think I owe about 150 on it. It's making me money every month. And the other one I sold a few years ago to a friend. Um, and over time I made money on it monthly, but I basically sold it for what I bought it for about eight or nine years later since the market crashed and then came back up. Um, we're just trying to help out a friend on that one. But uh, 
that was my very first. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. All right, Sean, tell us who you are, what you're up to, and tell us about your very first ever investment. All right. Um, uh, I've been in real estate now going on my 17th year. Um, I kind of got into real estate because I had a desire to invest in real estate. Um, so it sort of started for me that way. Uh, my very first um, investment property really uh, happened by uh, outgrowing my first home. So my first home that I bought was a two bedroom. And then when I, uh, when I needed a larger home, I decided to keep my current home as a rental and um, bought the next step up. And then I, I wanted to avoid paying capital gains tax. So I only kept that house, the original one for about two and a half years. Then once I decided to sell that one, I rolled that into two additional properties. Um, or I took the uh, equity from those two and then, and then purchased two other properties. And from there, I just continued to purchase um, investment. Okay, cool. So we have Carrie who utilized the FHA program as little as three and a half percent down to purchase duplex. Jonathan, the the two properties that you're referring to, um, you did 20% down conventional for those ones and then some creative financing as we used to call it back in the day. And then Sean, when you moved out of your primary and purchased that second, was that conventional financing? Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah awesome. that's one thing I tell people, you know, you buy your first house, start saving your down payment for your second one. Yeah, absolutely. And for the record, how many kids do you have? Four. Jonathan? Four. And Carrie? Two, and two grandkids. Awesome. Okay, cool. All right, so um, when you decided that like real estate investing was attractive, can you think back to, was there a particular person or was there a movie or a show or an experience that you had that were like, that made you go, I want to be a real estate investor? Well, my, uh, it's funny. I started real estate investing because one of the other realtors at Keller Williams told me that I should, uh, his name's Tim, Tim Lidstrom. And, uh, he's the one who recruited me. I was working at a, uh, place selling TVs. And he said, you'd be perfect for real estate. And he was an ideas guy. He would just say, Hey, you should get into real estate. And then I would do it. And he said, Hey, you should start investing. And then I would do it. And he's like, Hey, you should start flipping properties. And I would do it. And he later got out of real estate, but he was a real big influence on me to, to get going. And it was just the idea. Like I'd always liked the idea of investing, but, um, if you haven't done it before, it's, uh, it's a little scary starting out, but sometimes you just need an idea from somebody like, Hey, here's how you can do it. Absolutely. Do you guys remember like late night TV, like 2 AM for pennies on the dollar, you can buy a house. If you buy this $400 package, like I was (laughs) those people that was like, Carlton sheets. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. They're still, they're still there. Yeah. Like, well, back when you, we used to be able to go to the gym, you'd be at the YMCA and it's still there like three months ago and you're on the, on the treadmill and the, the ad pops up. They're like, come down to Seattle. Come on, we're going to teach you how to buy with no money down and use other people's money. And we'll give you a hundred dollars for showing up and buy you dinner. Just come down to the, you know, over at SeaTac somewhere there. Those are still there. People yeah. still go to those things and pay those people money. I remember finding that box of old books a few years ago and just thinking, wow, how about you, Sean, who, in, who inspired you or how did it come about for you? Um, I think for me, it was really just thinking about how to get ahead, how to provide um, some kind of security for myself or create a retirement plan for myself. Um, So my thinking was if I buy one property and it goes up in value, when I go to sell that one, I'm even with wherever the market is. So I was early on, I thought, I want to be ahead of that. So I need more than one. Mm -hmm. And so I thought if the market's going up and I sell mine and I buy another one, I've just kind of kept pace. I wanted to outpace that. Mm -hmm. So I was like, how do I get ahead of it? Well, if I own four properties and they all go up in value and then I want to buy 
a more expensive house at some time, I'm getting ahead. And so my thought process really was, was I just wanted to outpace the current market. And, and I thought, I thought it was kind of common sense. If I own one, it's only going up. When I go to buy another one, I'm still going to have to pay what that went up in value. Um, so I just kind of always had the desire to own more than one property. That's awesome. Okay, Carrie. Um, so then take, take us to the next step for you. So is it true that once you invest once you kind of get the itch and it, it continues and it kind of takes off from there. Did you have that experience, Carrie? I mean, kind of. Um, it was easy since I was stuck in a little two-bedroom duplex. The goal was to not have to live there for very long. So uh, for that for that next one, it was pretty easy. We stayed in the duplex, I think, for maybe a year and a half or two years and then were able to so seamlessly move into a, a real house that we didn't have to share with anybody and then um, became landlords of two properties. I mean, it was the both sides of the duplex. So um, yeah, it is, it is a little bit obsessive because you realize how easy, you know, it is, it is to buy any, basically anything that has a little bit of a cash flow makes sense to purchase. Absolutely. Right, Jonathan? <laughs> right, cash flow. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, we're going to launch a poll real fast, and we want participation from everybody on the call right now. We want to see who on the call is um, as an investor. So are you an investor? Here are your options. I have no clue, um, and that's why I'm here. Or I've got the funds, and I'm ready to get started. Or I already own investment properties. So we have got our poll in progress. And so participants on the call, we're looking to you now to give us a gauge of who we've got on the call. Should have some uh, music playing. I was on a Zoom earlier where she, she played the flute. It was pretty entertaining during this awkward silence. I gotta give you kudos, Rebecca. I've been on a lot of Zooms and Nobody has it together like you have, like doing polls and chat boxes, or whatever. Most people are just kind of winging it. So I'm, I'm quite impressed. Oh, thanks. I've been taking classes on how to turn your class into a, from a live class to online. And it's a constant struggle. Like this morning yeah. when I went to jump on another one, my in-ears didn't work. And I was running around the house like a crazy woman, like, help, I need another set of these. So, all right. Let's end the poll and let's see where we're at here. So we've got 42% that are tied with, oh, interesting, look at this. 42% um, say, I've got no clue and that's why I'm here. 17% um, say, I've got the funds and I'm ready. And then another 42% say, I already own. So we've got a good, good healthy, um, good healthy kind of balance of, of people on our call today, so that's cool. Okay, so now let's get out of here and um, let's Okay, all right, so let's talk about cash flow. So on those TV commercials that we were referring to earlier, you know, they make everything sound amazing. And so when you're looking at something to consider that it is a good quote, cash flowing property. I think sometimes people have this assumption that it's going to be, you know, thousands of dollars. Um, Jonathan, tell us when you're looking at something, what is a good cash flowing property for you? Well, a lot of the programs out there are going to teach you a percentage. You need to get X amount of percentage return on the dollar. And I don't like to evaluate things that way. I think that's a good way to look at it when you're buying a really large investment. If you were buying a 20 unit complex or you're switching from a 20 unit to a 40 unit or something, but most of us aren't there yet. So to me, I want to look at it at dollars. You know, am I going to make $200 a month on this? Am I going to make $400 a month on that? But you also have to look at it in the whole roundabout spectrum. So you make money in real estate in three ways. You make money in the monthly surplus, uh, or you might be, you know, some months negative. You make money in the appreciation on the property. And then you also make money on paying down on your loan balance. So uh, by somebody else making that payment for you. So most people look at cash flow in the, well, I made $200 a month. Well, actually, there's a fourth way, and that's tax reduction. Uh, so 
when people, when you're evaluating an investment, you've got to look at the whole thing. So you might only quote only be making $200 a month on your cash flow, but if you're also paying down $200 a month on the mortgage and you're planning on keeping the investment for 15 years and it's going to double in that time, that, that starts adding up really quick, not to mention the the depreciation that you can count off on your taxes. So I like to look at every, every investment um, all ways that I can, not just, you know, what is it doing today? Because in the future, your mortgage should stay the same, but your cash flow should go up. So you've got to look at that as well. As time, as time goes, the, the, the market's going to go up, your rents are going to go up. Uh, obviously, you got to keep money out for expenses, but that's the way I evaluate them is all. I generally don't consider the tax consequence. That's kind of like an added bonus to me. Um, but I, in the first three, you got to add all the three together. When you add all the three together and it looks good, that'll help you when, you know, for some reason the market went down a little bit and then you're breaking even on the rent. You don't go, oh, I'm not making anything. You have to remind yourself, well, this property is appreciating and I'm paying down on the mortgage. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to add to that as well with Jonathan saying, in our business, we have the ability also to um, capitalize on the buy. So we can, we can find a deal and with the resources we do have with contractors we know and people that can rehabilitate properties, we can pick up a property and, and uh, we may already have equity on the purchase with our ability to, to rehabilitate it. Absolutely. That's yeah. good. I think that's, you know, and the majority of the people who are watching and are with this, with us today are real estate professionals. And so, you know, the thing that I would say that kind of changed my thinking is every listing appointment that you're going on, you're sitting in the car, you're listening to the music to pump yourself up and get ready, right? And that's, this listing is mine if I want it. And thinking of it, should I be purchasing this home versus should I be listing this home is a question that we as real you know, real estate professionals should be asking ourselves that, you know, the question. Um, so Carrie, uh, have you in your experience found that holding the properties um, then brought about flips? Have you had any flips along the way in your story? Yeah, I have. Um, we, we did one true blue flip where we bought it and intended to flip it and we, we were successful. I think if we did it again, I would do it a little bit differently and, and um, outsource more of the work. We did a lot of it ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then another one was uh, one that was a listing that I in, ended up kind of pondering after I toured it with the seller. And I thought, gosh, this would be perfect for my parents. So we, uh, I bought it and we flipped it. And it's my parents, um, you know, it's their retirement home that that they rent from us so it's a perfect little house and it was just too good to to put out there and so um that was a little gym that's awesome how about you sean um primarily you know if you're looking back um flip versus holding um most of the properties i've had i've held on to them um but i have done some flips also uh, um i've I've only done three flips over the years, um, but my strategy has changed over time. So um, I've gotten into, you know, some land deals and figuring out how I'm ready for sale and flipping those over to a builder, figuring out the entitlement process and, and making a return on that. Some have been doing some, uh, financing some construction financing different things like that um, but i started out initially by uh, buying and holding and letting people pay down um, gaining equity but i think as you get uh, more equity then you have more options Definitely. so i don't i don't have one way that i do things it just depends on the deal okay and so jonathan how would you answer this question if there's someone on the call, 42% are, are not real estate investors yet, and they're thinking to themselves, how do I know when I've got enough money to be able to do this? Uh, well, my, my number that I tell people is 100 grand. And, and that's for our market. If you're going to 
if you're going to utilize some other type of financing like hard money, uh, makes it easier if you've got, you know, a wrench uncle, mom or dad, you know, someone else, you know, a partner, things like that. Um, but, but really the first part of real estate investing is you have to have a surplus. And so that's what most people, most people forget. They're like, well, you know, I'm working at McDonald's right now and I'm, I want to real estate invest. So I'm going to learn all the stuff. And it's like, you need to improve your situation either by spending less or making more so that you can have a surplus. Uh, and, and I would suggest that everybody needs to look at the spending less, even if they have the ability to make more, cause that thing we all have in our control. Uh, but you have to make yourself disciplined there first. So that's, that's really the first step is you've got to create a surplus, uh, not only in a bank account, but a monthly surplus that you can start investing in there. Um, and I look at it as stepping stones. You know, my, my, my first investment was when I was 16 years old and I bought an ounce of silver every paycheck for eight paychecks in a row. And that was my dad's advice at the time of what I could do to invest. So I've always had the mindset for it. And I have this box with little eight or nine ounces of silver in it that I bought for four bucks each and I'll never sell them. They're worth a million dollars to me. But the, the point of it was, even though I was working at McDonald's, I could save five bucks a paycheck and I could put it in a box. But at one point, those were worth 50 bucks a piece. Now they're probably $16 a piece. But literally all I did is walk in a store and buy it and then toss it in a box. Uh, but it taught me the concept of putting away that money every month. Uh, and I would tell somebody that, you know, realistic terms, especially in our market, you've got to have a hundred to do something. If it's putting 20% down and buying something, or if it's, you want to do a flip, um, you know, you've got to have money to put the money down and to fix it uh, and then hold it for a little while. So if you don't have that, there's alternate ways to get it, um, you know, by borrowing certain ways, but the, the places that are like, you can, you can flip and you can do that da, da, da with hundred percent, everybody else's money. I don't know how they're doing it. I don't know how anybody's doing that, <laughs> you know. Okay, that's great. Carrie, when you're thinking about investing or investments and thinking about legacy and you're now a grandma and you've got this future that you're looking forward to, how do you, tell us how you think. Like, do you think in a matter of doors, like I want to own this many doors or I want the cash flow to be this or, you know, did you set up goals for yourself along the way of how many investment properties you want to purchase a year? Tell us like about your goal setting as an investor. Well, I think it was more for us. It was just how much money are we going to need? This is for us, is it going to be a supplement for retirement, which is coming up? Um, so it's, it's a matter of how much money do we need to be able to live off of if we want to be, if we want to be able to depend on that for, um, supplementing our, my husband's pension and any social security we got. So, and then it becomes, okay, well, how many do I have paid for? And so right now we're kind of on that, um, on that strategy of, you know, we've got a couple paid for, and now we're taking that extra every month. And then we've got an extra four or $5,000 that we're working on you know, paying off the third one. Um, that's kind of the strategy we're doing right now, just so that I can have as much um, cash flow to tap into if we need it uh, when we retire. So my magic number, it used to be five and now it's 10. Um, I think if we have five or six paid for properties, that's going to sit us, you know, pretty well to supplement. Um, so we'll have a pretty good retirement. And then of course, yeah, we'll have something to be able to leave um, for our kids. There's a, it's, it's a nice way to build wealth for sure. And especially for somebody that's in the industry, like we, most of us are, it's actually, it's really, it's something that we're authentically interested in way, way more interesting than, you know, looking at the stock market. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Sean, how about you? Goal setting as an investor, just give us a little bit of insight as to how you set those goals. Um, I think uh, similar to Carrie, it's it's thinking about being self-sufficient at some period of time um, and hopefully at a, an age where you can enjoy life. Um, I, I just, I feel like there's so many things that are out of our control in our life that um, we need to take control of some things. And for me, um, understanding real estate and working in real estate, it's been a, a, a good way for me to be able to understand what, what I'm getting back on the investment. Um, most of the stuff has been long-term um, until 
until you get it to a point where you have um, equity that you can start diversifying in different areas and maybe some of your goals are long-term goals some of them are short-term goals um, so I think that stuff's ever-changing um, I do believe that uh, if you don't own an investment property if you don't own a property your first investment property is your your first home your your primary residence and and uh, setting the goals of getting started with your first property um, is very important, especially as real estate agents that we're getting people to buy homes and things like that. But a lot of people um, don't have the discipline Jonathan's talking about to say no to things, to work extra hard, to work two jobs if you need to. Um, to start getting that ball rolling for you in the positive direction. Um, so I think, I think for me, that's been similar to what Carrie said. I just want to be in control of, of what I do and, and uh, be self-sufficient at some point in time. That's great. That's a good point. And so let me pause so that there are guests on this call that may not be in real estate yet. You're going to want to reach out to whoever invited you to this call and they can help you get your real estate license because that's the first step in working smarter, not harder, is that you get your real estate license to be able to position yourself to increase your dollar per hour and, um, and then get ready to invest. Now, Let's talk about limiting beliefs because there are people out there that have these limiting beliefs. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know how to invest. I may have some extra money, but I don't know how to do that. Or gosh, you know, investing is such a hassle. And I've just heard of horror stories, Jonathan, of tenants just tearing through property. And oh, I just don't know that I could handle the emotional impact it would have because I painted that place and I poured myself into that home and now it's being ruined. It's just a mindset shift, isn't it? It's just that it is possible to invest in real estate. And one of the ways to kind of avoid some of those emotional roller coaster things that we're talking about is property management. So Jonathan, would you speak yep. to doing personal property management versus hiring that out? Yeah, ab absolutely. Um, Cause I, when I, when I first started buying rentals, I was, I was self-managing them and I was collecting the, I was collecting the rents and I was getting the call, you know, Hey, the toilet's backed up and what do I do? And, and I was handling it. Okay. I was super busy and, but I was handling it. Okay. And the, the first thing that made me realize I needed a property manager was when the, um, I don't know, a lot of you remember the, the liquid shooting of the four officers years and years ago. And, um, I, everything was going good with this house is one of those rentals that I had bought in the first one in 2006 and uh, the lady had moved into it and I charged her $1,300 a month and she had been paying me $1,300 a month for five years. And all of a sudden I got a check from the uh, police unions guild and I had no idea that this was the wife of one of the officers that had died that was living in one of my homes. And she, uh, was having help now with people, you know, the guild was helping her pay her rent, whatever. And she lived there for another, another six or eight months. And then she moved out and went somewhere else. But the, at that point I was checking around to see what rent would be. And I called a property manager and they're like, yeah, you're about $400 too low on the rent. And I said, excuse me. <laughs> and, and I thought, well, this was an awesome investment. This lady just pays me every month and she never calls me and everything's fine. And the, the problem was that I wasn't raising rent because I didn't think it in terms of that way. I thought, well, she's a good tenant. You know, she just always takes care of everything. And, and that's, that could have still been true about getting $1,500 a month instead of $1,300 a month. Um, the other, the other side benefit that I really realized once I had talked to a property manager was they could be the bad guy. Uh, when someone would call up and say, Hey, the transmission dropped out of my truck and I need to, you know, I need to be late and I need to this and that. And, um, the property manager and I had this conversation. I'm like, tell him I am an absolute jerk. Tell him I am the most horrible person. Tell him that I will. I will slash their tires. I will do whatever, whatever you got to tell them. So they'll pay on time. Cause I won't tell that person that, uh, as much as I might be a shark in business, if someone's renting in one of my homes and they call me with the story, I'm going to let them be late. And, and you, when you have an investment, you have to hold it accountable. 
uh, to that. And so the, the uh, property manager is what allows me to have that, um, that other person working for me. And in the end, the unintended consequences were I'm getting more money for it anyway. I'm getting better screening for my tenants because I don't have the time to do it. And I'm getting better, better quality people in there. And I'm getting people that follow the rules because they have the rule master that's following it. But in addition to that, um, they're changing tenant laws all the time, all the time. And more, more have been coming out from the governor all over the place the last you know three months that we've noticed. So uh, I'm desperately afraid that I'm going to break some rule and then somebody's going to sue me over it. And that's yeah. a big reason why a lot of people don't get into uh, investing is because mm -hmm. they think, oh, well, if I get somebody in there, I'll never move them out if they don't pay. Or what if I didn't rent to them because of this or that, and then I'm not allowed to. So the property manager keeps you in line there so that you can uh, make sure you're staying legally, legally up to good. par. No, that's good. Carrie, what's your opinion? Property management, yes, no? No, I self-manage. Um, I, I know that Jonathan and Sean both have more uh, doors than I do, but I'm, you know, I'm a relationship person. That's how I do business, and that's how I handle property management, too. I, I'm very in control of them. Um, luckily, I've not been burned. Now, Once, if I ever get burned, I may be talking to a property <laughs> manager, but yeah. just in my and just in my um, uh, experience with other looking at properties that have been managed by property managers, I, I feel like a lot of times they're not as well maintained, and so that's just my experience. Yeah, and so I I, I stay on top of it. I drop by um, all of my tenants, and I have a relationship. I think maybe um, that's part of the reason I have good luck with the, the tenants is because we do talk, um, you know, openly. I know throughout this time with COVID, a lot of them, well, three of them have lost their jobs. And it's been nice to be able to have truthful and transparent conversations with them so that they know that I can work with them. And, um, and I know that they will be good with, you know, some of them are making month or weekly payments to me. So that's what I've always done. I just, I self-manage, they drop off their, their payments and our track record's really good. I've never had to do an eviction in all these years. That's cool. And Gina's got a quick question. Yeah. Um, so that if something goes wrong, property manager is taking the heat for it or not, Jonathan? I mean, is that one of the reasons why you would go that direction? Well, yeah, the help, help you can delegate responsibility you can't really. So in the end, you're responsible to it. Uh, but the, what are the chances that you're going to follow all of the updated tenant laws and know things like in the city of Tacoma, you have to have a rental license every year and it costs 49 bucks. And rather than just getting a reminder in your email, hey, I filed for your license or the, you know, new stipulations. And it totally depends on where you own a rental as well. Um, there's certain areas where it's required. I own some property in Chicago and it's required for the fire department to come and look at the unit every year. Well, I didn't know that when I bought it. Nobody told me cause the realtor over there just assumed that I would know that's what we do here. Why don't you do that there? Uh, so there's, there's things that you can miss. And, um, so once you get to a, a, a level of everybody has a different ability. Some people could manage 25 units on their own. Somebody could manage two on their own. So to me, I hit that limit pretty quick of what I either wanted to do or could do uh, in managing my own units. And so I said, they're, they're going to be better at it than me. I'm going to put it on to them. Uh, but you know, you've got to have a good property management company if you're going to do property management that way, yeah. um, because they're, they're definitely not all created equal. Right. No, that's good. Okay, guys, participants on our call, we're going to be looking to the chat box for any questions that you have for our panelists. So if there's anything that's come up so far that we've been talking about, it's time for you to drop your questions into that chat box. And while you're doing that, um, I've got a question for our panelists. Have any of you participated in or become Airbnb hosts? And um, Tell us a little bit about that short-term vacation rentals. I wanted to do it and I was about to do it and I got really scared because I go down to San Diego every year or the last six or seven years for vacation. And almost every year we go back to the same house. So this lady, her husband's actually a realtor as well, but um, we go down to their house and we stay there for a week and, and it's wonderful. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, they actually passed legislation in San Diego County 
to where they are outlawing uh, coastal Airbnbs. So you have to be part of a large conglomerate uh, like a Marriott in order to buy a bunch of houses and rent them out that way. So to me, if I go put in a bunch of money to something and then the government just says, eh, can't do that anymore. Well, what does that, what does that mean for that house? I better be able to rent it out for a whole bunch of money to someone who's going to stay there all the time instead of for three or four days at a time. So to me, I pulled back on that because more the location that I thought would be good to have one just kind of dried up almost immediately. Um, but I, I know other people in our office that have done it and love it. Uh, but I just think just like anything, location, 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 you've got to find somewhere. Um, I don't want to get political, but in that case, somewhere conservative that's going to let you do whatever you want rather than somewhere that's going to pass laws. And they, they pass laws in that supposedly to help out fair housing and to uh, allow more low income people to be able to buy like they'd be able to buy on the coast of California anyway. Um, most investors can't even do that. So um it uh, you just got to be careful. You got to know your market, and that's kind of an emerging. I know it's been going on for ten years or whatever, but that's the Airbnb thing being really popular. But it's still, in my opinion, an emerging market. I'd rather I'd rather put my money into something that's been proven for a hundred years. Yeah, that's great, and I think that's something that's a takeaway as always. Isn't it interesting to see? very successful real estate investors. One, very opinionated on property management being necessary and Carrie saying, no, my business is relational. And it's so true to then our real estate businesses as well, right? Each, each one of us has an opportunity to build a business that we get excited about, that, that we can get behind. And so your real estate investing is, is really no different. Uh, we've got a question here, it says, how do you currently find new investments and what are you doing to, you know, proactively look, search? Um, and so who wants to speak to that as far as what are you doing right now to look for your next investment? Sean? <laughs> um, oh, Sean. <laughs> yeah. Oh. You're probably better answering this. I just kind of um, they I come to him. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm not currently actively looking. Um, I have some things that I'm doing that are working, and um, but if something comes up, or you know, by us doing our job, we're always looking. We're always seeing real estate. Sometimes we'll see something that that uh, we would be interested in. So I think you're always looking. Yeah, uh, I would agree. So, I think setting up the, the MLS searches, you know, based on certain areas or based on certain criteria, um, based on certain price point, you know, you, you just kind of start getting familiar with what things are selling for in this particular, whether it be a duplex or a triplex, so that when you see something, you're like, okay, that's a deal. You know it's a deal because you've been seeing that feed for the last you know six seven months or whatever it may be jenny's got a question um would you recommend investing out of state well i i invest out of state so i'll probably take that one but i wanted to um kind of talk about the last one too i think sean does a real good job about putting a vibe out that he's always looking for a deal and that's the kind of thing that i like to be known for too uh, among other realtors as well um, one of the, the first aha moments I had in real estate was, well, just because I'm a realtor doesn't mean I have to be paid the commission. So why can't I have somebody else find me a deal and they get paid the commission? We work with 300 plus realtors in our office. And if one of them comes to me and says, hey, I got a deal. I just want to be paid on the commission. I say, sure, you can be my agent. You brought me the deal. And that, that has opened up a lot of other avenues for me. And I've even suggested it to other agents in the office. And I've, I've helped other agents in the office secure investments because it's my passion. Well, I go around and I find them a good deal. If it's a great deal, they're like, well, sure, you can be my realtor. Um, so that, that was a limiting belief that I had first was that you had to be paid the commission just because you're in real estate. But at the end of the day, if it's a deal, it's a deal. You want to you wanna buy it. And, and five years later, when I own the investment, do I care if I got paid the commission? No, I don't. I care that it was a good investment. Um, the out-of-state thing, my advice is you want to uh, strength train up to that. 
because you don't know what you don't know. Um, I, I bought a property out of state, my first property out of state in 2013. I bought it for about $14,000 in uh, Flint, Michigan. And we all know how Flint, Michigan went when the water supply was poisoned and, and all that <laughs> happened. <laughs> but uh, I ended up getting out of that one without losing my shirt. But the, the point was for me was, hey, it was only $14,000. How can I go wrong? Well, I still lost money on it, but I didn't lose a hundred grand. Um, the, the thing about a market that you're not in is you don't know what you don't know. When you're in other states or other, even other locales within Washington, you don't know all the tenant laws. You, you need to uh, find a realtor over there that knows what they're talking about and can help you with that. And, and ultimately, the best thing is somebody who already invests because they're going to know all the things to look for. Because uh, realtors are like contractors. They'll always tell you, yes, yes, I can handle that. Yes, I can do that. Can you sell land? Yes. Can you sell commercial? Yes. Can you sell apartment? Yes, I can do all that because we want to get paid. Uh, but you've got to find somebody who knows what they're doing over there and who will educate you on how it's different uh, over there. Um, That's good. One of the, uh, like a personal experience that I had was uh, a property that I bought in Chicago. And um I, I asked the realtor, I'm like, okay, so I need a bid from a landscape company to clean up the outside and I need them to do this and this. And she said, oh no, Mr. Jonathan, that's not what we do here. And I said, what do you mean? She says, well, down here, there's so much unemployment. I just stand in front of the house with my business suit and a clipboard and I wait for the working men to come up. And I'm like, what are the working men? She's like, all the people that have a job, they just come up and they're like, hey lady, do you need the lawn mowed or do you need the, this done or do you need that done? And she said, that's how it gets done here. And she's like, it'll be, it'll be a, a quarter of the cost of you going through a company. And she says, and I just don't pay them until it's done. So if I come back and the yard is half done, then I don't pay them. And she's like, that's just how it works here. And I said, well, you know, you know better than me, but I would have never known that. I would have paid somebody $1,400 to cut down the six foot high lawn and to trim everything up or whatever from an actual company. And she got it all done for 250 bucks. Um, so you've got to find somebody who knows what they're talking about. That's good if advice. You're going, if you're going out of state. <clears throat> That's good. There was, Rebecca, there was a related question right before mine about, um, would you recommend investing in a cheaper market um, like Arizona for the first investment to start out if you aren't in the 100K cash on hand range? And I just wondered if maybe that was um, a good lead into just a conversation about how you, how you determine what market, like where your geographic scope is going to and whether that would change that um, recommendation for how much cash to have on hand. It, it's just a lot, a lot of research. I know Sean does some stuff out of state in Oregon, but he didn't, he didn't do anything there before he researched it a lot. He knows the area a lot. And the stuff that I have in Chicago after I made the mistake in Flint, Michigan, I spent a long time researching the area, prices, talking to a lot of realtors, um, and, and trying to find the right person to help guide me. So um, the, the, real, the real key is, you know, there are people investing in those markets. So they're, some of them are doing it right, some of them are doing it wrong. We have to resist the urge to listen to the media or to, um, you know, hey, I know a guy who bought a house there and it worked out good. Well, that's one house, you know, is that happening for everybody? Um, and I happened along to find a, a realtor there in Chicago who, owned several rentals on her own and worked a lot with investors. And so she was kind of showing me the ropes about what it is. Um, but yeah, in my, in my opinion, you've got to strength train into that because you just don't know. Um, you just don't know what you're dealing with there. I would, I would tell somebody the advice to buy something local first and get, get your feet wet doing that for a little while and then keep making a surplus to go out of state unless you have the option to find, you know, if you got all the time to research that, or if you know somebody who can basically give you all of the, all the skinny on it, then it takes away a lot of that risk. I just recently sold one of the properties I have in Chicago to one of the brokers in the office. And, um, but we had several lengthy conversations about here's how it operates over there. Here's how it's different. Here's who you need to use. Here's what you need to do. That's good. Okay. There you go. I, I think also on that, it depends on the equation. Yeah. So like, like some of the areas that you invest might be less expensive and, and the cash flow may be similar in relationships. But I think the market um, is important because depending on what your goal is and how long you did, 
depend to keep that property. If you're thinking I'm going to hold this just until somebody's going to pay it off, maybe the long term, maybe the less expensive market is is a good bet. Appreciation and gaining equity and things like that, you may look at the market that you're in and do the equation on, you know, is that market have the upside growth and the potential equity gain, or is this market a stronger market with more potential equity gains? So I think um, sometimes you have to look at the whole picture. And I, I would say that, Aaron, you were saying if you're not in that market that you have 100000 to buy your first investment property, the no-brainer, and I, do a, I love doing this, I love counseling like buyers of all ages, if you want to buy a rental property, then be willing to buy and, and move in to that first one. I mean, just move into it, get into it for very little down. Three, it could be a multiplex or a single family home. Live in there for a couple of years and then you know, hopefully you will have saved up money to have an actual down payment on that second one. If you don't, then, you know, pull some sort of equity HELOC out on there or something. So that's the easiest way to get into your very first investment property. And I know a lot of people who have done that several times, just yep. like Sean was saying, how you, if you want a better house, just uh, do a couple of, a couple of those and you end up with your dream house and you have four rentals that you had lived in previously. Yeah, that's good. All right, guys, we've got to wrap it up here. And so this is your final opportunity to jump into the chat box, drop any of your questions to any of our panelists. And then um, one question then would be, because Carrie, you did start early. I'm curious, knowing what you know now, if you could go back and talk to that, you said, what, 19-year-old? Yeah. Carrie, um, what would you tell her? Buy more. Buy more. I love it. Jonathan, what Don't would you do? Don't be afraid. Go back. Uh, well, I'm, I'm telling, I've got a 16-year-old, and I'm telling him to do what Carrie did, which yeah. is buy the, buy the duplex and, uh, and move into one side of it. And uh, that's what they, they've, like, invented this on social media. This is called house hacking. You know, it's like, no, it's called investing. You know, you're getting <laughs> someone to help, to help buy it. And, you know, you move out and buy another house while your expenses are low, while you're young, before you've got, you know, four kids or, or whatever you plan to do. Um, yeah, it's, it's always start early. And, and called, truly, yeah. actually, my, my first investment was my first regular primary house too. That's where I got the down payment money for those two other was a house that appreciated a hundred grand in six years. Yeah, so. it's, it's wealth building, it's legacy leaving. It's because you, you're working hard and you want something to show for it for the future generations to come. And like Colleen said, that's what she did too. She bought her first three homes that way and just keeps moving up and keeping the old ones as you go. Dina says, I feel like I'm too old to start and that's just a limiting belief, my friend. It's never too late. We just sold a first time home buyer 64 years old. 64 years old, first time home buyer. It's never too late for you to become a real estate investor. So thank you so much to Sean Maxey, Carrie Montgomery and Jonathan Harper for being our panelists today. And um, any final, final thoughts, Sean? Yeah, I have something to add. So there's a guy I've been talking to down in Oregon and our market moves pretty swiftly and things are going good, but um, keep your mind open to being creative. Um, he's done over 30 properties in the last 12 months um, with people that own their houses outright and have uh, wanted to sell. Maybe their houses haven't sold, so he's done the research on it. And then he's gone to them and said, um, look, will you be interested in doing an owner contract? And so him and, and some of his his uh, clients have been picking up properties and getting rentals. And that way, at least they're getting an income coming in and carrying the, the contract for a, uh, the amount of time until they gain some, some equity to be able to get a, a loan on it. Uh, typically, people do it for a five-year uh, balloon payment. Um, so maybe think about that. Our market may be a little bit tougher, but there's still people that they want to make a return on their money and aren't ready to sell yet. The market's increasing still. So they're hanging on and that might be a way some investors get into the game. Um, so maybe a learning and researching that a little bit more, but I was pretty impressed that, that 
this individual has done over 30 in the last 12 months. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, it is never too late. We trust that today has inspired you all. And um, there's, there's opportunities all around you guys. One of the tools we have at Keller Williams is called the Millionaire Real Estate Investor Workshop. Go to Keller Inc. K-E-L-L-E-R-I-N-K.com, kellerinc.com, go to resources. There's the full PowerPoint, there's the full workshop booklet. And uh, we did this two years ago. We started hosting how, we think the first one was called Baby Steps to Investing in Real Estate, because that's where we were, just baby investors, kind of clueless and grabbing Jonathan's hand, screaming for help. And so baby step your way into the opportunities. So you've got that. And then this is one of my favorite books ever. It's called Hold. Um, Gary Keller has gone on to write many, many, many user-friendly, just kind of paint by number, open the book, um, investing for dummies type books. And uh, so we're here to answer any question, anything, anything else that, um, that you Rebecca, need. Rebecca, uh -huh. Sloan has something she wants to share that she, she shared in the chat. Okay, real quick, Sloan, unmute yourself, go for it. So a lot of you have the young people going back to that part of the conversation. Uh, I managed a young man who bought uh, five rentals over, I think, seven years. I could be off by a year. And what he did is he got all of his friends, and now we're talking their young 20s, to be his roommates. And so um, he bought his first one FHA and then took all his uh, roommates' money, put it back in, and got his equity up and you know banked on the, the appreciation as well. As soon as he could do that, he refinanced, took it out. Then the second home he never lived in, even though he said, well, he did live in, he said, I will live in it, occupied. He slept on the couch and rented out all those rooms to his friends. So his stuff was all in tubs. I managed this young man who's under the age of 28 with a Maserati who had five homes and a golf club membership. He was wacky. <laughs> his priorities were a little different, but talk about wealth building. So um, he, so that's, it works for really young people, right? I mean, this is a young person way of, of investing, but you can have those conversations with young people in your life that roommates, you're, you're going to have roommates anyway in your young 20s. Why not have that money working for you? Absolutely. And then I would say on the opposite spectrum, it's that if you are a little older in age, you've got equity in your home, do not take out a cash out refi to go buy a boat or fix your kitchen. Take the cash out refi mm -hmm. and go and invest it in real estate as Colleen has trained us and um, inspired us to do, right? So thanks for joining us today, you guys. We appreciate your time. If you have any questions, reach out to us anytime and we will see you soon. Thank you.